Father, we just thank you for your word, and uh, Lord, as we embark on a new section of Genesis, and uh, we look at this great man, Abraham, this man who's called in the Bible the father of faith. Lord, he is a man just like us, uh, just, just like every called believer, every person you've ever sought out for salvation. And Lord, we can learn so much from following the life of Sarah and Abraham and uh, Lord, the way they followed you and, and uh, the way you worked in their life is very similar to the way you work in our life. So we, we, it's such a blessing to come to this uh, section of Scripture, Lord, where we see this picture of salvation. We see this picture of faith and operation, Lord. And we just ask that you help us to, to learn from uh, their lives and how you worked in their lives and apply these things to our own lives. Father, we just... Uh, again, ask for your blessing on this study as we begin the study of Abraham's life in, in chapter 11 today. I just ask for, for that blessing. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, I'm really excited about the next section of Scripture we're going to be studying as we study the life of Abraham. And, and uh, nowhere in the Bible do we, get, do we get a more complete and clear picture of the gospel than we get in uh, the story of Abraham. That's why Paul talks so much about a- Abraham and Sarah in, in uh, his letters and his epistles because they actually give us a living picture of way the way the gospel works in our own lives. And so, so it's a, it, I, I think it's going to be a really exciting story. And in Abraham's life, we see the steps of salvation. What does it take to truly be a born-again believer. I mean, the only thing that you'll see missing uh, in Abraham's life, you don't see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe he was sealed with the Spirit. I believe he was given the Spirit of God, but that's not given to us in the text. So, so that's an important part of our, our faith that uh, we don't see in the text. But other than that, you actually see the steps that take place in the process of salvation very clearly in Abraham's life. And the first step that we're going to look at today, actually we're going to look at the first two steps in salvation, and that is that God seeks us out. Uh, he sought a- Abraham out, and, and he sought me and you out, for, or you and I out, for salvation. So that's the first step. The second step is the calling of God. God actually calls those he seeks out he calls those he, he seeks out to be saved. And there's two types of callings. There's a what I would call a general calling, uh, which is the calling that's gone out, and you could say in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the general calling of the gospel. But remember what Jesus said over in Matthew twenty-two fourteen. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. So many, everyone has heard the gospel, or they, most people in this world have heard the gospel. Uh, even if they haven't heard the gospel, Paul tells us they're without excuse because the things of God are written on their conscience and they're seen in, in the creation. And so, so the general calling has gone out. But who are these ones that Jesus is speaking of when he says many are called but few are chosen? Who are these chosen ones? 
These are the ones that were chosen by God before the foundation of the world for salvation. And, and, and to those people, he gives the second calling, and that is a specific call. If you've been saved, you've received a specific call from God. Uh, and what is that call? I mean, the specific call that I'm speaking of, now there's, there's other specific calls that God gives. He gives us a call to ministry, a specific call to ministry. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a specific call where God has called you to c- come out of the world and to serve him. Every believer has received that call from God. Maybe not audibly like we're going to see in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 with Abraham, but we've all received that call. We've received that specific call from God to be his child. And then the third step that takes place in salvation is that we believe in the word of God. We believe God when he calls us. We, we believe his word. And when we believe his word, that's when we're saved. We're going to be told in, in, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 6, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's the same way you're in, you and I are saved. We believe God and it's accounted to us for righteousness. And that's how we get a righteous standing before God. Not by our works, but by our faith. And where do we get that faith? That faith is a gift from God. And so we can't justify ourselves. And as we're going to watch Abraham, Abraham could never justify himself. Even if he had kept the law, he couldn't have justified himself by law because the law didn't even exist when Abraham was living on this earth. It was 430 years after Abraham was believed in God that the law was given. And so, so Abraham never could have been justified by law. And that's why he makes such a great picture of true salvation because none of us can be justified by law. We can only be justified by our faith. And then the fourth step in salvation is the testing of our faith. Everyone who truly believes has their faith tested. In other words, it's tested. God tests your faith to make sure whether or not it, it, you, to let you know, he knows, to let you know whether or not your faith is real. And we're going to see Abraham's faith tested over and over again. And he's going to fail a lot of those tests, just like you and I fell a lot of those tests. But in the end, in the latter part of his life, when he receives the greatest test of all, and he's told to offer up his son Isaac up on Mount Moriah, he's going to pass that test. He's going to pass that test. Why does he pass that test? Because his faith is real. And, and, and it might be late in your life when you realize that your faith is real, but God's going to test your faith. Ultimately, the ultimate test of your faith is do you endure to the end? Because those who persevere to the end are those who are saved. How do we persevere to the end? By the grace of God. But if we're saved, we're going to persevere in the faith to the very end. And and what Abraham did when he offered Isaac up on Mount Moriah, he actually went to offer Isaac up on Mount Moriah. Uh, He proved that, that his faith was alive. And he showed us that faith without works is dead. 
I mean, if you can say you have faith, but if your faith doesn't produce works, then it is dead. And we're going to see that in the life of Abraham. And, 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 and that's why this is such an encouraging uh, section of Scripture, is because Abraham's faith wasn't always like it was there in the end. He had to... He had to grow in his faith. Even though faith is a gift of God, Abraham sometimes uh, kind of threw his faith away, but God didn't let him throw it away for good. He, he always brought Abraham back to, to him and, and back to the faith that he had in the Lord. All right, now, the fifth step in salvation for Abraham, it's the first step in salvation for us, is that Jesus had to die for our sins on a cross. I mean... Abraham, Jesus hadn't died when Abraham was living. Abraham had faith in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, but he had to wait for his sins to be paid for on the cross. We don't have to wait. That's already taken place. Christ has died for all the sins of the world. So it's the first step for us. It was the last step for Abraham. But Abraham understood about the cross. Because when he offered Isaac up on Mount Moriah and he was, he was held back from sacrificing his son, remember what God said to him, uh, my name is now to you Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide on this mountain right here where you sacrificed Isaac, I'm going to provide a sacrifice, I'm going to provide my son Jesus Christ. In fact, I will be that sacrifice is what the Lord said to Abraham. And I'm going to provide a sacrifice for your sins right here on this mountain. And Abraham believed that. And he believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, so there you have those five steps of, of the gospel, or the five steps of salvation. And, and as we look at these play out in Abraham's life, we're going to get a clear picture of, of, uh, of, of, of how we truly get saved. And today we're going to start out with the first step, and that's how God sought out Abraham for salvation. If you're truly saved, God has sought you out. You didn't seek God out. God sought you out. Listen to what Isaiah says about, uh, uh, well, he, he, he tells us what the Lord says about the redeemed over in Isaiah 62. And he gives this theologically rich, fascinating name for us over there. He says, he says you shall be called the sought out. You shall be called the sought out ones. What's it mean to be sought out? Well, and Jesus said it like this over in John chapter 6, verse 44. He said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. And if he comes to me, I will raise him up in the last days. So what that means is that only the people that the Father seeks and draws can have eternal salvation. If God doesn't seek you and draw you to him, you will never get saved. And so the first step in salvation is that you are the sought out one. You have been sought out. Now, why does the Lord draw out certain people and he doesn't seek out other people? Why doesn't he draw some people to Christ and he doesn't draw other people to Christ? Well, Paul answers that for us over in Romans chapter 8. Go back with me to Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament. The big old fat book toward the first part of the New Testament. You can't miss it. We've been there. We've spent a lot of time there before. 
But go with me over to Romans chapter 8. And look at verse number 29. Romans chapter 8. And look at verse 29. I, I've had people tell me, you know, I, I, you can't reconcile uh, the sovereignty of God, the predestination with the choice of man. Yes, you can reconcile it. Paul reconciles it for us right here. Listen to what he says in verse 29. He says, those whom he foreknew. Now, what does it mean he foreknew? He foreknew what? He foreknew, he foreknew that they would choose to be saved by Jesus Christ. They would, they would look to the cross for their salvation. They were willing to, to lay down their pride, lay down their sin, lay down their idols, and come to the Lord. Those who he, whom he foreknew would do that, he predestined, back to the text, he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son, into the image of God. And those whom he predestined, watch what it says there, he also called. See, there's that specific calling. If you've been predestined by God, you've been called by God. And not just the general call of the gospel here, you've re- received a specific call to come out of this world to forsake your sins, to abandon your idols, uh, and to follow Him. Now, everybody who's been born again has received that call. If you haven't received that call, that specific call from God, you're not born again. And, and, and God doesn't waste His time and His energy on drawing and specifically calling those He knows you're going to trample on the blood of Jesus Christ. He won't call you. If he knows you're going to trample on the blood of Jesus Christ, he's not going to call you. And so if you don't get sought out, it's not on him, it's on you. It's because he knows you never truly will give your life and submit your life to him. And so he'll never call you. If that's your attitude, you'll never get called. So he knows exactly who's going to get called and how many are going to get called He knew that before the foundation of the world. And he gives us a series of parables about that uh, over in the Gospels. I want to just look at one of those for a minute. I put one of them in the bulletin about the the shepherd who has a hundred sheep and and one one, uh, goes astray and he he leaves the 99 and goes after the one astray. Well, let me give you another one of those parables. Look over at Luke while we're right here in, in the New Testament. Go back a couple of books of the Gospel of Luke. And look in Luke 15, and you see this series of parables here. And I want to look at the one, I want to look at the parable of the lost coin. In verse number 8, beginning in verse number 8. Listen to what he says. Luke 15, verse number 8. He says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends. I mean, she's so excited about this that she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. And God knows who that sinner is. And so he chases after that 
sinner. He knows exactly who that sinner is who's going to repent, and he's like the hound of heaven. And he goes after that sinner with all his power and all his might until he gets them saved. And that's exactly what we're going to see happen in Abraham's life. He's going to chase after Abraham. He's going to seek out Abraham. If God knows that other than violating your choice, that he can use his power and his might and and his sovereign will to get you saved, he's going to come after you as hard as he can until he gets you saved. Look, if if you're here today and you're not born again and God's not chasing after you, that's a bad sign. But you, I've known guys who have told me, people who have told me, God is, God is after me, but I just, I just, I'm just not ready to give my life to God. Well, you're going to. You just wait. If God's after you, he's after you because he knows he's going to get you. God was after me my whole life. And I knew he was after me my whole life. And I was running from him as fast as I could and as hard as I could. I didn't want any. I didn't want it, but he kept chasing me. Until he found me, and that's the way he works. If he knows that at some point you're going to abandon those idols, you're going to forsake your sin, you're going to follow him and you're going to serve him, then he's going to come after you. And he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna, he's gonna get you in the end. And that's exactly what happens to Abraham. Abraham wasn't seeking God when God sought after him. More than likely... Abraham was an idolater. I heard Charles Stanley say that a couple of weeks ago. In fact, it's funny, he's in this same section right here, right now, in, on his Sunday night sermons, if you listen to him. And I heard him say, I think it was last week, he said that Abraham was an idolater. I said, no, he wasn't an idolater. God chose him because he, he wasn't an idolater. No, God chose him when he was an idolater. He was exactly right. I went and looked that up, and sure enough, I'm going to show you in a minute, he was an idolater. More than likely, he was an idolater. And yet God chased after him because he knew that he was going to, what he was going to turn out to be. And, 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 and if God hadn't chased after him, he never would have found the Lord. He found the Lord because the, because the Lord sought out after him. And that's why we call salvation amazing grace. It's amazing grace. And for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that faith is not of yourself. It's a gift of the God who has sought out after you and not of works lest any man should boast. I mean, that's, faith is, is amazing grace. It's given to us. It was given to Abraham. He tried to throw it away. We're going to see here in a minute. But God kept chasing after him because he knew he was going to get that guy in the end. If he knows he's going to get you in the end, he's going to keep chasing after you. If, he, if he's not chasing after you, you're not chasing after him, forget it. You're probably in deep trouble. You might not seem like it now, but it's coming. So uh, we're going to talk about how to remedy that here in, in a few minutes. So we're the sought out ones, just like Abraham. Uh, and Abraham, was he's the one in the, in the Bible who's called the father of us all. He's called the father of faith. He's the father of our faith. He's the one who was the first one to have real faith in God. And so uh, uh, he was a great man, but he didn't start out that way. He was given his faith, and he would have lost it if God hadn't uh, uh, stuck with him. 
I mean, we're going to see him fail over and over and over again in this text in Genesis. But the Lord protected him, and he nurtured him, and he matured him into the great man of faith that he became. And that's what he's doing in your life if you're a sought-out one, if he's seeking you out. And if you're not, he's not seeking you out. The only reason he's not seeking you out is because, because he, he, he knows it's not, it, it, he's never going to get you. Now, the Lord works in our lives the same way he worked in Abraham's life. So if you are here today, you're kind of down in the dumps. Your faith is kind of faltering a little bit. You're not as excited about, about, about grace, that amazing grace as you once were. Well, if you want a shot of amazing grace, then you pay close attention as we look at the life of Abraham. I know it really encourages me to, to go back and look at this when I think, man, I just can't, I'm not going to make it, and realize, hey, he wouldn't have made it either if it wasn't for amazing grace. It wasn't for a, a God of grace and the same God that, that uh, called Abraham uh, calls us. I mean, you, you just stop and think about it. You think about how much grace God has. You look at where we've come so far in Genesis. I mean, the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me at this point that God wasn't altogether through with mankind. Because the first 11 chapters of Genesis are all about the rebellion of mankind. I mean, it began with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What did they do? They rebelled against God. They ate of the forbidden fruit. And then they had all of these descendants. They had billions and billions of descendants that became so corrupt that God had to destroy them in a flood. And then right after the flood, you think, wow, they had learned their lesson and everybody's going to do the right thing now. But just a generation or so after the flood, what did they do? They, They gathered together at the Tower of Babel and said, God, we're not going to do things your way. We're going to do things our way. And, and, and that whole tower was nothing but a rebellion against God. And you would think at that point that God would have said, enough is enough. I am done with mankind. But he doesn't say that. You know why? Because he wasn't surprised about the way men and women turned out. He wasn't surprised at all. When he made us, he understood what a great risk he was taking. He understood that when he made us with a choice, he was giving us a choice to love him and obey him and serve him or to reject him and hate him. And you know what? This world is a history of people who hate him. I got to tell you, most of the people in the United States of America today hate God. They hate. They won't come out and say, I love God. I love the God that I've made up in my mind. But I hate this God of the Bible. That's why they're doing everything they can right now to get the Bible out of the schools, to get the Bible out, uh, get the Bible out, of, out of society altogether. In fact, eventually the Bible, if, if, if history repeats itself, and it always does, the Bible will be banned in the United States of America if God lets it go that far. That's where we're heading. If a, if God has given us that choice. You want to hate God? You can hate God. You want to love God? You can love God, and, 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 and he'll seek you out, and he'll call you. So he had a plan. I mean, as bad as things were, God had a plan that he laid before the foundation of the world. And that was to redeem mankind. And he was going to do it through this man, 
Abraham. You talk about an important guy. The father of faith. He's the father of our faith. If God didn't work through Abraham, we, would, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be here today worshiping God. We wouldn't know God. We would be worshiping pagan gods just like Abraham worshiped at one time. But God had a plan to, to make those who choose him. He was going to choose them and call them and make them children of God. And in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, we get a very clear picture of how that salvation plan works. I mean, all of that theology you get over in the New Testament, you can see it play right out in the life of Abraham and Sarah as we go through their lives. So I want to begin that study now with that introduction. Uh, and we, we were in the genealogy of Shem. Remember, Shem's genealogy is given separate again because it's through him comes the Messiah, comes David and the Messiah and, and Abraham. And so, so uh, we want to go back to that gene- genealogy of Shem and we want to pick back up in verse 26, and we're going to see just how much Abraham needed the amazing grace that he received. That's what we're going to see at first. So let's pick up in verse number 26. It says, Now Terah, Abraham's father, lived 70 years, and he begot Abram. What's the name Abram mean? Words, names in the Bible always have a meaning, and I'm not going to go over the meaning of every one of these names, but we, don't want, we want to stop and look at the meaning of the name Abram because it's very significant. It means father. Now stop and think about that. Here's this guy, he's 75 years old, he doesn't have any kids. Look down at verse number 30, and his wife is barren. And so he doesn't have any kids. Can you imagine the ridicule that he took every time uh, somebody called his name? His name was Abram, father, and he had no children. Uh, and, and so, but he's going to have a child here. We'll see that later on. But, but uh, his name was Abram, and he had a brother, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begot Lot. Now, we, we learn about Lot, uh, and the reason we're given Lot, because I'm going to tell you what, Lot is one of the sought-out ones, too. God sought him out. Lot didn't know how good he had it. I mean, here's Abram, and here's Sarah. They don't have any children, and Haran dies now who would be the perfect couple to raise their nephew and that would be uh abram and sarah because they don't have any children so lot ends up with abram man did he did he luck out he didn't luck out he was predestined out he was given a great gift because he's going to ride abraham's coattails all the way to heaven lot's going to get saved as rascally of a wabbit as he was he's going to get saved uh, he's going to get saved. And that's encouraging to me too. If Lot can get saved, anybody can get saved. But he had the right genes. He, had, he, was, he was the stepson really of Abram and, and the stepson of uh, Sarah. And Haran died before his father Terah in, the, in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now it's interesting that they've excavated this land Ur of the Chaldeans. We're going to see the city of Haran later on. They've actually excavated that city too small towns, cities in those days. Uh, and, and, and then in verse number 29, then Abram and Nahor took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarah, my princess. What a beautiful name. Later it'll be Sarah, but it's Sarai, different pronunciation there. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, uh, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishka. Now, Sarah is actually Terah's daughter, 
by a different mother from Abram. We'll see that in chapter 20 of Genesis. And so Sarah is actually Abram's half-sister. So when Abram goes down to Egypt, we'll see in a couple of weeks, when Abram goes down to Egypt, I mean, and, and, uh, and he says, hey, I'm going to tell everybody you're my sister. He really wasn't lying. She was his sister. He, it was kind of a half lie because he was, she was also his wife. But, but we'll look at that story later on. But anyway, uh, uh, but Sarah was barren and uh, she had no child. Now, we get to the important part in verse number 31. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out. They went out with them from the Ur of Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran, and they, watch what happens there. They dwelt there. They stayed there. They planned on living there from then on. Now, that doesn't seem significant, but it is. Now, here's what happens. They, they leave to go to Canaan, and they head up to Haran. They head up northwest because of the Arabian Desert, if they went straight West, would, would, they couldn't cross that. So they ride the Euphrates River all the way up to Haran. And then they were supposed to come back down to Canaan. And, and, and what we're going to see right here in verse number 31, we're, at this point, we're going to see Abraham's specific calling. Apparently, God called Abraham twice. Actually, he's going to call him more than twice. But his calling began with two specific callings. He didn't hear it very well the first time, so he's going to get it again the second time. Now, you were not given his first calling, and that's what took place, and that's why you have this movement here of, of Terah and his, and his sons and, and, and Lot and, his, and, and Sarah. Uh, you have this movement because of this first calling that Abraham gives. And we don't get it here in Genesis chapter 11, but we do get it over in Acts chapter 7. So flip with me over to Acts chapter 7. Back to the New Testament. And look in Acts chapter 7. And this is where Stephen is before the Sanhedrin. They're about to stone him. And he gives this great speech. And he really gives us some insight into the, New, into the Old Testament in this speech. And so there's a lot of areas where we can learn things about what we're studying in the Old Testament by reading this speech that he gives in the, in the New Testament. But anyway, I want to pick this up in chapter 7, verse number 2. And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. That's in the Ur of Chaldea. Now he was settled in and he was living in the Ur of, in Ur of Chaldea in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. See, we're looking at, cha- in cha- at chapter 11 of Genesis. He's about to head to Haran. But, but before that, he actually gets his call, his first call, the specific call from God. And, and we're told what that call is here in just a minute. Uh, and he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Now, that's kind of a limited call, but I believe that's all he got in that first calling. He says, the Lord appears to him in his glory. Now, just imagine that. 
the Lord appears to him in all his supernatural glory, and he tells Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of Chaldea. I want you to leave Mesopotamia. I want you to go up to Haran and then down to Canaan, and that's where you're going to, that's where I want you to be. And uh, then he came, in verse number four, then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he gets his second calling, okay? And he moved then into the land in which you now dwell. He moved to the land of Canaan. So here's Abraham. Let's go back to Genesis. Here's Abraham. He gets this supernatural calling while he's in Mesopotamia. And I mean, God appears to him in all of his glory. And that should have been all Abraham needed to be totally sold out to the Lord. I mean, if the Lord appears to you in all his glory, man, you know he's God. When you see his glory, you know he's God. And you, at that point, you should be sold out to the will of God. But he's not. He's only partially sold out at this point because he only partially obeys what God calls him to do. He gets out of Mesopotamia just like God told him to do, and he tells his father about this vision he had of the Lord. I'm sure he tells him this. And his father says, okay, we'll leave. And uh, he, he leaves, and he, he, but, but he doesn't get away from his relatives. Remember that calling says, come out from your relatives. He stays with his father. And he doesn't head to Canaan. He heads to Haran, and he stops in Haran. And, and I'm sure that city they named later after uh, Abraham's brother. But, uh, and, but he stops there, and he settles in. So at this point, I mean, if the Lord was like most of us, what he would have done, he would have been done with, he would have been through with Abraham. I mean, he's revealed himself to Abraham in all his glory. I mean, he's given Abraham specific instruction. And what does Abraham do? He obeys one-third of those instructions. One-third. The only thing he does is leave Mesopotamia. He didn't get away from his relatives, and he didn't go to Canaan like he was told to do. And you would think, man, at that point, God was done with him. God would be done with him, but God's not done with him. Uh, Because... The Lord has predestined him to become a man of God, a great man of God. And in his omniscience, he has called him with a specific call. He'll call him as many times as it takes, but he's going to keep calling him. We'll see this call play out over and over again. And Paul tells us, remember what Paul tells us over in Romans Romans 11, 29, a a very profound statement. He says, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. You understand that? The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Thank goodness they don't depend upon us. When God calls us, it is an irrevocable call. If God seeks us out and he calls us with a specific call, that calling is irrevocable. That's why you can't lose your salvation. If you've truly been called by the Lord, if you've truly been sought out by the Lord, the Lord's not playing games. He's he's marked you for salvation. And that calling, that specific calling that the Lord gives you is irrevocable. So you can't lose your salvation. God wouldn't call you with a specific calling 
if he didn't know from eternity that at some point you were going to turn out to be a child of God. He wouldn't call you with that calling. I mean, just think about it logically, and I've used this example before, but, but no one intentionally picks losers. I mean, if, if, if I knew all the horses that were going to win over at Evangeline Downs today, I don't know if they run today, but let's say they do run today, and I knew all the horses that were going to win, would I go over there and waste my time and money on the losers? No, I'm no fool. I would pick the winners. And God's no fool. And God is omniscient, and he sees the future. He knows the future. And he knows those who are going to eventually be made into children of God, and he sees them before the foundation of the world. That's why Paul says he called us into him, but Christ before the foundation of the world, to be children of God. Paul says that in Ephesians. Because, because God sees that, and God picks winners. You're a winner. If God has chosen you, the devil's going to tell you every single moment of every day that you're a loser. But you're not. You might be losing right now. But you're going to win in the end if you've been sought out and called by God. But so if Abraham could have lost his salvation, he would have lost it right away. Because God said, I want you to do this, this and this. And Abraham did this. And he disobeyed God, just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He disobeyed God. And, and uh, he could have lost his salvation. It could have been lost. But he didn't lose it because God had sought him out. And, and why had God sought him out? Because he sees the future and he saw the great man of God that Abraham was going to become. But that doesn't mean that your disobedience doesn't cost you something. Abraham's disobedience cost him something for sure. It caused him a lot of trouble. God had a reason for telling Abraham, look, I want you to leave your relatives. I want you to leave them. I want you to get rid of them. I want you to get away from them. I want you to leave your your relatives. I'm going to show you that reason. Go with me over to the book of Joshua. Just a few books away towards the New Testament from Genesis. And go to the book of Joshua. You get some of these clues in some strange places, but... Go to Joshua, the last chapter of Joshua, chapter 24. And listen to what Joshua says here. Look at verse number 2. He says, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river Euphrates in old times. And watch this. And they served other gods. They were polygamists. They served other gods. And so here's what happens to Abraham. And you can see what a dangerous situation he's in. His father's a polygamist. He has a lot of influence on his son. Sure, Abraham's seen this vision. And Terah's been told about this vision. But Terah's hanging on to his gods. On the other side of the river Euphrates. He's still hanging on to those gods. And, and so Abraham settles in Haran with his idolater's father, in a land full of idolatry. And, and I believe he would have stayed there. I mean, the word settled means to settle. It means he made plans to stay there from then on. He would have stayed there if God hadn't intervened, and he would have died a polygamist. 
But the first thing that God does is, if you, hey, you're not going to take care of matters, I'll take care of matters. Look what happens, go back to Genesis and look what the first thing God does in Abraham's journey here. In, in verse number 32, look what happens. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. What did God have to do to shake Abraham up? He had to remove Terah so he didn't have this adverse uh, influence on his son any longer. God will do that in your lives. You're hanging on to things and people that are causing you a lot of uh, to, to, to live... Uh, Outside the will of God, God will shake things up if he has to. So, then look what happens. So his father dies, and he gets his second call. Now, we, in, in our English Bibles, you have chapter breaks. Sometimes those chapter breaks are good. Sometimes they're very unfortunate. This is one of those unfortunate chapter breaks. There's, there's no break here. I mean, here's... Here's Abram. He's disobeyed God. He's landed and settled in the land of Haran outside the will of God. And the Lord comes to him again. And it says, now the Lord had said. That had is not in the Hebrew. And I don't know why they put it here in the New King James. Because they're trying to make this one calling. It's really two calls. They want to tie this to the calling that Stephen speaks of that was given before he left Mesopotamia. So these are two separate calls. Even if God doesn't appear to him in his glory, he's still, even if he's doing nothing but remembering the call, this is a different call from the call he gets while he's in Mesopotamia. So, so he, gets, he gets two calls, and it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family. He says to him a second time. Does that sound ring any bells? He says to him a second time, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. So uh, uh, he's, he gets this calling a second time. That, that reminds me of Jonah. You remember Jonah? I mean, remember old Jonah? Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and preach uh, to the Assyrians' repentance. And Jonah said, I'm not going to do that. And he got in a boat outside the will of God, and he headed the opposite direction on that boat. And uh, as circumstances would have it, he ended up in the belly of a well for three days, and the well spit him out on the shore. Now, let me read to you what it says in Jonah 3, 1 through 3. And Jonah wrote this, by the way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. Guess what Jonah did? He arose and did what God had told him to do. So here's Abraham. He's got his own belly of the well experience. I mean, he's lost his father. He's lost contact with God. His wife is barren. Uh, He's living in a theological wash of confusion because of his idolatry. And God comes to him a second time. And he tells him to get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And, And it just shows that the Lord hadn't given up on Abraham. And, 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 boy, you would think, okay, and you better do it this time. You'd think the Lord would just rip on him for a while. You know, just, just berate him and let him have it. 
But look what the Lord does. And it's the way the Lord works in the life of his children. And, and if you're hearing otherwise, you're hearing from the devil. You're not hearing from the Lord. Listen to what he says. He doesn't say, hey, don't you ever do that again. You better obey me from now on or I'll kill you. I killed your father. I'll get you. Look at, look at verse number two, what he says. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you gonna, you're going to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse, curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Boy, that's anything but a stern rebuke, isn't it? I mean, the Lord gives him a great blessing. And we're going to look at that specific blessing that he gives him, that specific, that part of the specific calling next week. But, but uh, uh, this won't be the last time that God will have to come to Abram, who will later be Abraham, and give him this calling. And, and that's why it's such a good thing that our callings are irrevocable, that they're unconditional. Sure, God's going to have to repeat them sometimes. But when God makes that calling, it's for good. And, and, and Abraham's salvation was for good. It was unconditional. He was unconditionally saved. If he wasn't unconditionally saved, you're going to see in this story as we follow it through in the next 13 chapters, Abraham would have never made it. But he was unconditionally called, and he was unconditionally saved. And that encourages me. Because if my salvation depended upon me, I would never make it. That's what bothers me about people who say you can lose your salvation. It's like you're somehow keeping it. You can't keep it. Let me tell you what, God let the devil have a heyday with you one day, one day, and you'll let go of it. It's God who gives you your faith. And if he's given your faith and he's called you, he's going to see you through to the end. I mean, I've followed those steps of salvation. I mean, the first step of salvation for me is the last step of salvation for Abraham, but that first step of salvation for me is that I know Christ has died for my sin. And that his blood that he shed on, his, on the cross has paid for my sin. And it cleanses me from all my unrighteousness. I mean, that's the first step. And, and, and so he's, he's already done the work for everybody, for everybody in the world. Not just me. He's done it for, for everybody. And, and, and then the next step is he sought me out. He sought me out when I was a little baby. In my mother's womb, he was seeking me out. He sought me out every day of my life. He sought me out until he knew I was ready to receive his call. And then he called me. He called me to abandon my idols, to forsake my sin, to, to, to serve him and to love him and to live for him. And I don't always do that. But I know he's called me to do that. He's called me out of this world to serve him. And I believed him when he called me. I mean, when he called me out in that desert and on August the 23rd, 1989, I believed him with all my heart. And because I believed him, that was accounted to me for righteousness. And he gave me faith. And he sealed me with the Holy Spirit. And that faith was not of works. It was a gift of God, lest I could ever boast. I can't boast of anything the Lord has done for me. And 
Now I'm in the process of him proving my faith and testing my faith. And, you know, the lesson we're going to learn from Abraham, that hardest test that Abraham had came when he was 100 years old, over 100 years old. I mean, late in his life. The testing doesn't stop. And you're going to pass some tests and you're going to fail some tests. But in the end, your faith, if you've been sought out and you've been called, your faith is going to be proven to be true. Y'all want to finish this today by asking you, I mean, has the Lord sought you out? Has the Lord called you? Do you know that for sure? I mean, if you can say, I don't know, you're probably not saved. And then you've you got to ask the question, why hasn't he sought you out? Let me tell you what, the reason he's not seeking you out, the reason he hasn't called you, he might be seeking you out at this point and he hasn't called you yet, but more than likely it's because he knows you haven't reached the place where you're willing to let Jesus be Lord of your life. You just haven't reached that place. And for some people, he knows you never will, and he's not going to bother with you. You go right on living the way you want to live. You go right on living outside the precepts of this word. You do whatever you want to do, and God's going to let you do it until you perish. He's not going to seek you out if that's your attitude. Well, then what can a person do if, they, if, if you don't know that you've been called? If you don't know that you've been sought out, What can you do? Well, Paul answers that question over in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. He says, everyone who calls upon the Lord, watch that, the Lord will be saved. What's it mean to call upon the Lord? It means that you've reached a point in your life where you're tired of wrestling with God and you're ready to say, uncle, you're ready to give it up. You're ready to submit your will to the will of the Lord. And when you call upon the Lord, the Lord is your Lord, then he's going to call you. He's going to call you out of this world. He's going to call you to abandon your sin, to forsake your idols, to serve him. And when he calls you, you're going to know that you've been sought out, that you're a sought out one. Make sure of that in your life. Amazing grace. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that our salvation is not up to us, Lord, that you begin a good work in us and you're going to finish it until the end. That's what your word says. For all those you've sought out, all those you've called, we we are sure of our salvation because your callings are irrevocable. Lord, and salvation and sanctification uh, and glorification are all your work, and we know that. Lord, we thank you for that, because we'd never make it. Just like Abraham, Lord, we, would, we, we disobey you too much to make it outside your grace. So we just thank you for your grace. Lord, help us to be obedient children. Help us to be great men and women of faith like Abraham, and then you can do great things through us. Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know for sure that they're being sought out by you and called by you. Lord, teach them what it means to call upon the name of the Lord so that they can be saved too. Father, we just wish that none should perish, but all 
should come to eternal life. We just thank you for the eternal life we have through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.